to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Well, good morning. We're glad you joined us this morning. We are going to be doing a a little bit different service. So um, for those who are gathered and also for people that are listening online, um, it's going to be a little bit different instead of uh, the usual way that we uh, do two or three songs at the beginning, and then we go into the preaching section, and then we kind of have a response time at the end. Um, we're going to be walking through things to where um, we're going to do a, just a tiny bit of teaching, and then we're going to give you a time to respond. And so that's what those texts meant this week, just being a time of uh, a time of prayer and a time of preparation. Um, and so um, we're going to walk through these different areas. And so it may be different for you. Um, this has actually been done in the history of the church many times. And so I'd like to get to where we're doing it um, like on a regular basis, like twice a year. And so what we're looking at today is this idea of corporate renewal. And so corporate meaning the body of Christ when it comes together. Um, but uh, we usually tend to think as Americans in just the idea of just our individual Christianity, and so I have a quiet time, or I read, or I listen to the song. It means a lot to me, and that day I try to be nicer to people, or try to maybe not do the things I was doing. But but a lot of the scriptures are speaking as a corporate body, which includes our individual time with God. But it's really spoken as a corporate body. Most people don't. Our American individualism is different. So remember, you know, like maybe eighty percent of the world is more on a communal idea, right? And so they they still think in those terms. Not only what affects their synagogue or their church, but also the community at large. And so we kind of have more of an individualized. And you see that. That's why we get to even go into. You know, I really like this church, and they got all this stuff. Uh, and we're kind of consumers in that to where. But you know. They, they did this. I didn't like it. I like nine things. I didn't like one thing, and we're going to move on to another, and we'll try this one out, and we'll try this, and, we'll, and that, that's how far individualized and consumers we are without even realizing it. It's, it's the skin that we live in. It's the water that we swim in, and so this idea of corporate renewal is truly a time where it's a, a renewal of heart, and so in that um, there's a popular show that's been on. Uh, I think I tried to watch a couple episodes years ago, but uh, that story, the story is uh, This Is Us. And so it's a real popular, really good show. And so I want you to know, so when we're going through this today, this is us. Except it may not be the us that we see and perceive, it, but it is the way God is looking at us. And so he's going, let, let me pull back the curtain and, and let me see what I see about you. Um, all humans, not just you in particular, not just us that are gathering here. Um, a lot of churches ha- haven't even probably done one of these type services in a long time. And I don't want to cause you to fear like, oh gosh, is he going to call people out? And so none of that stuff. I'm like, come up here. I feel like there's something, there's a, just a demon on you. And we're going to, that would be fun. Maybe, maybe later on. And so, uh, but those type of things. Now I will say in the future, not today, but times when people would uh, have three to four minutes and people could get up and walk up uh, and say, and just pray a prayer of confession. Lord, I've been struggling with this. Or Lord, we do. We struggle with these things. Confession is just not done corporately. Um, we don't know how to confess. We don't know how to ask for forgiveness very well, even in our personal relationships, much less with an invisible God, right? And so um, think of this um, as a great physician, you walk into that doctor's office and there's that awkward piece of paper on that table that you're just like, this is weird. And so you, you hop up there, except this, this physician is so graceful. There's just the, this welcoming smile where you know he's trustworthy, he's able, he has your, your very best intentions. Um, that he is competent to not only diagnose, so he, it's like that this great physician, Jesus, is, is taking us and sitting us up on this table And better than an MRI, better than a CAT scan, better than an x-ray, he's reading our heart and our thoughts and going right, right there. I'd like to, I'd like to work with that. And so we kind of hold back from that, but we know that that would be much better if he could address at the core those things instead of just the presenting problems or the, 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 maybe the symptoms of the problem. 
So if you go in and you go to your doctor and you say, yeah, I'm just having these, you know, these earaches, these earaches, and they go, uh, well, maybe some drops might help. That would treat just the ear. But what if I found out that that was connected to a bigger problem? Um, something about your immune system. Like, we need to address the immune system, which will eventually get to the ear, but we need to address the core. So that's what these type of renewal services are about. Um, so um, this week we're looking at corporate renewal of heart. Next week we're going to be looking at, at corporate renewal of mission. So looking through some opportunities this year. For what, what does it look like for us to be um, investing in our, not only our own community, going deeper as a community, going deeper in prayer and the Word, but also serving the, the community around us. And so um, that will be next week. So Today, let me walk you through. Here's the things that we're going to have up there um, that we're going to be walking through. The first one is just this idea of the presence of a holy God. Do we really think through as we come to worship service or go to church, do we walk in really not thinking about we're going into the presence of a holy God? Um, we Again, as Americans, we kind of have a little bit of a cavalier attitude without even realizing it where before people couldn't even go into certain areas of the synagogue, right, into the, the tabernacle. And so there, only the priest would enter in and take those sacrifices. And now we know that that veil is ripped, that each one of us can um, go before the throne of God. But if we're not careful, we can have a very American, of course, hey, God, you know, I'd just, I'd just like for you to do this. God, I'd like for you to, there's, there's no reverence. And even when we enter into church services, there's no reverence and fear. And when I talk about fear, not fear like he's wanting to just squash us. Um, he could, and he's done that in the past. But like fear in the way of, if I see you as God and treat you as God, man, would that cause a little bit more obedience? Would that cause a little bit more of care and compassion? So the presence of a holy God. And then moving to the idea of conviction. Anytime we start feeling bad about something or convicted of sin, we don't usually like that. We don't like to move to that, the outward expression of confession. And if we could see that this is this loving physician, Jesus, coming and going, this is what you need, though. You, you keep struggling with, with, with that, with those relationships, with, with that scenario, because you keep turning away from me. And I'm, I'm trying to bring rescue from this, and it's the greatest thing I could do for you. Just confess that. Agree with me. Confession is just agreeing with God, going, I see that now. I need that. And then repentance is turning from those things that he's brought out, turning to the freshness of walking in obedience, the freedom of that. And then looking at that through those, through those processes, renewal, rest, and rejoicing. So we're going to walk through those, and we're going to give some time for a heart response. Now, um, another thing that comes up is this is the idea of invoking, um, the idea of invoking um, the Holy Spirit. And that, that word invoke just means to appeal, to petition. One who's in authority, would you come and do that work with us? Um, and, and through the centuries, these prayers of invocation, they were usually pre-written. So um, think of, think this is a good idea. So think of if you just put, got on YouTube and went, top five worship songs. I can tell you what's going to come up. It's not going to be those people, if you grew up in a church where there, there's one person standing with their hand, you know, blessed be the name. Like, that's not going to be there, right? So think YouTube, like maybe, and this, and I'm not suggesting this, but like Bethel or Hillsong or, you know, Maver uh, Maverick City or Magic City, whoever there. So um, think that, that kind of picture. And then think um, the opposite of that. So that's just kind of like the Holy Spirit's just leading us and we're just kind of off the cuff saying things. And, and so there, there's a beauty in that because it's like trusting the Spirit, but sometimes it can get off because it's not tied to Scripture and it's not spiritually led, it's emotionally led. So you've got that, right? Some of it's good, but then you've also got the other, like, dear heavenly, holy, oh, Father, God, of thine, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I couldn't go to a church like that. But sometimes, so the old Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church, everything was written prayers where they just read it, and like week three, you're like, oh gosh, we're doing this again. Like, he's not talking to God, he's just reading off a sheet, and it's cold, and it's stale. And so um, there's kind of this fear of going too far that way, fear of going too far the other side. So there is this thing of pre-written prayers and liturgy that are beautiful. And, and so we're going to do some of that also. So we're reading a prayer off, and, and that, that's a good thing to do. It, it's guided. It's thoughtful. We're saying exactly what we believe needs to be said. So we're going to practice that also. 
Um, those were done all through the centuries. Um, and so we're going to start out with this invocation of the seventh day. And so you may not even think through this. I hope this just expands the beauty of this. So this is like Genesis 2 at the very, very beginning, right? Adam and Eve haven't even started like petting cats yet. Like it's still just Genesis 2. He's just created all this stuff. They're not even taking action. And so this invocation is saying, hey, we want to pause and just think about the, the, the largeness, the, the, the um, just huge beauty of what this is, if we would pause and think through. So Genesis 2 um, one through four, this is an invocation of the seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. So everything, the host just means every single detail, every atom, every molecule, just like God wanted it. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. So if you know, he, he did this work, he was active in this work. So you got God the Father, you got Jesus the Son, and you got the Holy Spirit in creation. Remember, it wasn't Jesus on the JV squad waiting till like, oh, I can't wait till, you know, all the BC years end, and then I get to come on the scene because I'm going to be a little bit nicer and stuff. But like the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all working together. And um, the, the picture there is that he finished the work. The Father finished this work. The Spirit finished this work. Jesus finished this work. And then... He rested. So I want us to carry that thought. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Notice the repetition. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, the seventh day, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Do you know that going forward, that seventh day is the day that Jesus rose from the grave that we celebrate, that same seventh day. That, that, that seventh day is the day of Passover, that we, that we celebrate, that Jews celebrate as the actual, you know, the original Passover. And we go, this is why we were Passover, because of Jesus dying and resurrecting from the grave. Um, that seventh day is, is the picture that all through Scripture, it was an important day. And so as we gather again, do we have a reverence there? And just think through, what kind of attitudes do we come into church with? So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested Again, repetition, three times he's mentioned this, from all the work that he had done, that he had finished in creation. So there's this repetition of the work he had finished and accomplished, and he was well pleased and he rested. So um, we're going to see that tie into the rest of this. So Susan's going to come up and he's going to read us through a prayer of invocation. Now you can read this out loud. Um, you can turn your head down and, and pray. Um, he's going to come and pray this, and it's, it's a written prayer. Um, and the Holy Spirit honors it and, and is glorified by it, and, and God is glorified by it in the same way if we just said, Heavenly Father, da-da-da-da-da. So we're going to read this together, um, and you can, you can bow your head and pray as Sujin comes to pray. And then we're going to do a song after that, a, a song of invocation. So as we look at these corporate renewal services, um, Israel would be brought together many times. And so if you remember reading those kind of weird parts, maybe of Leviticus or Deuteronomy, uh, there were things that were like, uh, there were seven uh, different prescribed days each year, uh, a feast of Passover, um, the seventh day of the feast of Passover, the, the feast of the first fruits, um, the feast of trumpets, the day of atonement, um, those type of things. And so the whole purpose of those, when you read those, like they were these all these scriptures that led up to this big feast in this time where Israel gathered. Um, and the purpose was to pause and to be thankful, to recognize God's provision in the past, what he provided, but also to demonstrate obedience and worship to God. So it was a way of saying, hey, God, this little detail of us pausing our work and leaving the field and leaving where we were working to go to do this, this is out of obedience to you because, because we love you. Now, there were people who went through the motions of that, right? And just, just the same way of either going to church or going to church part-time, just like, Oh gosh, this is, why are we doing this? And like, yes, we're supposed to do this. And, and God knows the heart. They, they probably weren't a true believer. They weren't a God fear, right? And so uh, a thankful heart that does it in the right attitude and heart of God, we do this little detail of sacrifice because we, we want forgiveness of sins. We see that you're a great God and we're thankful to you. 
And so um, the Israel had to do that. The church, um, God set up several things that the church should be doing. So like the Lord's Supper and baptism, those are times for us to pause and remind each other, to, to see a visible picture of the gospel, um, that we would see baptism as that thing of, I'm saying that, that I understand the death of Christ, that my sins were paid for, and that he raised a new life. And so I'm that new creature, that new identity, walking in faith that my sins have been forgiven, and I want to now pursue holiness. And so the same thing happens um, in, in our times of renewal in the church. Um, and the idea there is that corporate fellowship, that repentance and confession, that it leads to corporate renewal. And so um, now thinking through that idea of in the presence of a holy God. So again, many times we, we come in and, and maybe we really haven't even taken the time uh, to really think through, even on a Saturday. Um, I was taught this maybe over 20 years ago, to, to begin to think through on Saturdays. And remember, football season, like I, I'm watching a lot of football. I'm enjoying that. And so usually you're not thinking like Saturday night's the time to slow down. But I, I got taught to maybe even as you're enjoying something, to think through Saturday night to prepare your heart for Sunday's worship. And you may think like, well, that's crazy. And is that some rule or something? No, it's just an uh, acknowledgement that God, you're so important that I do want to be fresh in the morning. I want my mind to be sharp because the most important thing I do this week is my interactions and my thoughts with you. Who, who cares if I go on and make this much money and do all these tasks this week? If I'm separated from you, what, what does it really matter? So thinking through that, um, the presence of a holy God, um, um, Brad's going to lead us in another song. So if you're if you're a person here that's saying, "Man, um, I really do not take it. I do not really think through what coming to church really means. Uh, maybe I, I've, I've lowered that to a value where I'm just like, oh, we've got to do that." Instead of realizing, man, this God knows your heart on those matters. It should be this time of, of nothing else. Man, God, I've been even sinful all week long, but man, I need restoration with you. I need reconciliation with you. And so we would come for those things. And so um, we're going to sing this song here in your presence. Um, just, just saying, just acknowledging to God up front that God, we should have a different perspective of coming before a holy God. So do we think through? You can be seated. That idea, this last week, this last month, this last year, even for people that are maybe not even sure where they're at with the Lord, if they're truly saved, whether they're believers or whether you're an unbeliever, just thinking through uh, the, the Lord being so gracious, so slow to anger, um, rich in love, and just so good that He would allow us to come into His presence. Um, even just the last week, the last month, that, that He would go, I, I know where your heart's been. I know what's been going on this last week, the idolatry that you so easily pursue, that your eyes lock onto, your heart locks onto, and yet he, he allows us that. How many people consider the reality of coming before the presence of the Lord? And so I hope that maybe even for you, just think through number one, it may just like raise the value of just coming to church, that it's not just coming to church, um, but it's like I'm getting to go before the creator of the universe. That should be so much more important than whatever the high task is or whatever the high goal of my week, the, the creator of all things. Because if in an instant, if we were able to see what heaven and see his presence, it would change us incredibly. And yet what we stare at and gaze at are all these substitutes. Think of that paradigm shift that usually never occurs. It never happens. We have a very low view of God instead of a very high and exalted view of God. It's so easy to do. Um, and I, I wonder what that's like from his perspective. The reality that we shouldn't even be able to come in his presence, but because of Christ, we're able to do that freely. Um, the fact that we don't really prepare our hearts and really think through. Um, a lot of people probably get up on even on a Sunday morning and just you know get up and like you get to sleep in a little bit and then you drive to church and then kind of like, oh man, you meet some people and then I hope the songs are good. We've never even taken the time to prepare our hearts. So that's what part of this is, is that church uh, services on Sunday should be a time of at least bringing our heart before the Lord. And so um, many come in just unaware as consumers and we're wanting to get something. And that's not all bad, but, but are we wanting to get what God is really wanting us to get when we come before a holy God? Um, so think through that. And as we come to worship services, uh, maybe it would help you, first of all, again, just, just uh, value coming together as a fellowship of, uh, of saints together to hear the word, to sing praises to him, 
um, to, to participate in the Lord's Supper, or maybe it's also uh, just a little bit more of God's perspective of thinking through that he's allowing me to come before his presence. So thinking through that, what is God's view on this? Isaiah 6, and um, we're gonna have this on the screen. And so um, this is Isaiah 6. If you remember that famous section, some of you are very familiar with it. Uh, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. So this is Isaiah talking about this. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What that means is like famous kings and everything. Remember, they, 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 they wore clothes that was not like any other. And so almost like a, a wedding gown, you know, like sometimes the, 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 the lady's wedding gown, like the more royalty or maybe the more rich she is, like the, that gown, that, that, that robe just feels longer and longer out there. And so it's saying, man, the, the, the robe of, uh, is just filling the temple, just the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. Um, and above him st- stood um, seraphim. So the, these created beings that we don't even know exactly what they look like. They had six wings. With, with, with two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And the, the other two that he flew. And so some people say that the reason that, and that there's different interpretations about that, but the very reason that he used two of the wings to cover his face is because he, this created being was showing that, that the holiness of the Lord was something to be in reverence of, just, just an irreverent posture. Um, and so ju- just that idea there. Um, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so we don't know this, but for Jews, for Hebrews, anytime you repeated something twice, it was like, oh, we, we should take notice. And the reason we take notice is God decided in his wisdom to state this two times. So remember earlier when we were in Genesis 2, just simple, we read over it. And he finished this work, and and he made this day holy. He finished this work, and he rested. And three times they repeated that. This time, it's not just twice that he says it, but when they say, holy, 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 we we just don't even have a category for that as Americans. Um, As humans, in our sin even. And not just Americans, I'm just saying, but we, we just have this cavalier attitude sometimes, a very kind of arrogant, elevated view of ourselves. And they were in awe. They were saying, something that is that holy, we don't even have a category for that. Um, that was the view that God wanted us to get across in coming before his presence. In Isaiah 6, 6 through 9, he says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So that's a foreshadowing of Christ coming and making the sacrifice and taking away our sin. So here, God's spokesman, God's prophet Isaiah was before that, that holiness of God and this, this angel touched that to his lips. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And notice the Trinity there, for us. The Trinity's talking to itself. Then I said, um, here I am, Lord, send me. And then Isaiah, so he looks around and he's fearful and no one else is around. So here I am, Lord, send me. And so I remember when I first went to a missions conference and they, they spoke about this and they made kind of the theme. Here I am, Lord, send me. If no one else is willing to go, I'm willing to go. Well, we'll notice what happens here. This is very common too. He says, here I am, Lord, send me. And God goes, okay, here's what I want you to tell them. Here's the message. And now think about what the message is. Keep on hearing, but you do not understand. Keep on seeing, keep on looking, but not perceiving. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, and they would turn and be healed. And so what he's saying there is, Israel, I'm pleading for you, but even though I lay out all this stuff, you just keep on thinking that you figured it out, you see it clearly with your eyes, and you never perceive it. You're not getting it at a heart level. It's clear. I've made it clear to you and you continue and continue to harden your heart and it's not softened. So you see this high view of God, this glory of God would, would produce and, and, and it would uh, make us bow down in reverence and fear. And so this picture here shows this picture of the Jews' hearts being hardened 
And so we see this, this whole section, if you go to the next, the next few verses, it's a picture of God saying, you continue and continue and continue. So what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be hardening your heart, and I'm going to bring other nations on you in punishment, and that's a form of my discipline. And it's going to harden your heart more. And instead of turning to me, it's going to harden you. And so we see in the New Testament that this hardening continues to happen. Then God says, I'm going to try to bring salvation. I'm going to try to bring reconciliation. And then you're going to keep sinning and keep sinning. And so it's a picture of us, the same thing. And yet they were looking for this Messiah to come. And now we know that that Messiah is Christ. And so the hardening that happened to the Jews, what it allowed for is the grafting in of all of us in Tulsa, the Gentiles. So not many of us are Jews. And so there's been this hardening placed over the hearts of the Jews. So um, right down here on 71st Street, there's the Jewish um, synagogue. And so they are still saying that the Jesus guy attempted to be a prophet. He was a healer. We don't understand, but he wasn't the son of God. He was not God in the flesh. So that's what uh, people in Judaism believe. And so their hearts are, are, your eyes have seen, but you still don't believe it. You've seen this and you just won't believe it. So think of this, that God has opened up for the Gentiles, this time where we're grafted in as the offspring of Abraham. So it should have been the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're in that lineage. They're in that bloodline. And Jesus come in that, right? And here we are. We're not in that bloodline. We're out. And remember all that Old Testament, they feared the Gentiles. They thought they're heathen people. They serve other gods. And God even said, hey, I'm bringing Gentiles in to my salvation. So that's what he's bringing out in Isaiah. Um, Do we presume upon God's grace in the same way? The, The fact that the way we come into the presence of God, are we hardened more than we even realize and I'll tell you one of the things that, that does it for us is everyone around us. We compare. Well, I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't really think about the holiness of God. I don't think about um, should I be walking, obedient, but, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm as good as the people around me. I'm that good, and that's not the standard. That's not the standard at all. And so um, we need to think through this. So I want to give us about uh, two minutes just for you to consider the holiness of God, what Isaiah has brought out. And we're going to pray as Brad strums, and then we're going to sing the, the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And again, if you come and you go, man, this is really a weird uh, service. This is the way it's supposed to go. Uh, other place, maybe if, if I just came and gave you, hey, here, here's three ways, three easy steps to make your life better this week. Man, we eat that up. But this may be the most important time for you just to spend two minutes just before the Lord going, God, will you, will you soften my heart? Will you open my eyes to see things that I don't even see? I don't want to be like these Jews, hardened. I don't want to be like these, these, these people that just continuously acted like they wanted your grace, acted like they loved you, thought they loved you, but just lived in constant disobedience over and over and over. I need Christ to renew me. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes, and then we're going to go into holy, holy, holy. I hope that you can um, take some time to think through that as we even leave here today. Um, as we move on to the next area, this idea of departure, it happens very easily. There's a section in Exodus 33 that I'm going to read through. Uh, it's a, a well-known section, but you, it's easy to look over sometimes. And so here's what it says in Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. You and the people who you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. And so right there, you're getting the picture of, remember the ones who come out of Egypt? Remember the Pharaoh had said no, and there was the 10 plagues, and they'd uh, come out, and and then the the death of the firstborn, and then Israel had left, and they'd come up to the huge sea, and then what are we going to do now? Did you just bring us out here to kill us? And then God split the sea open, and the Israelites walked through, and as they turned around and looked, um, the sea crashed down and killed their enemies. And they thought, their chariots, the the powerful army, they're going to kill us. And so God here references that as, Hey, the people you, Moses, brought out. And remember always before, God referenced himself. The name was not like, hey, uh, you know, in in the name of Jesus. They didn't understand that in the Old Testament. But the name that he kept referencing over and over is, I am the Lord your God, the one who delivered you out of the land of slavery. The one who delivered you out, I am the one. And here, notice what's going on. There's a shift here. Go up from here, Moses, you and the people who you 
have brought up out of the land of Egypt. To the land that I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So the, so the, so the promise of the covenant to Abraham. You, you get that. You get all that, Moses. Take your people. And you get all the blessings. You get the promises. The covenant. To your offspring, I'm going to give it. I will send an angel before you even. And I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. So I'm going to powerfully, supernaturally destroy these huge armies. And you're, you're a weak, weak vessel. And yet I'm going to give you this land that's already established, cities that are already established. This angel of the Lord's going to destroy all of them. Go up to the land that's flowing with milk and honey. So you remember those, it was always talking about this land. But I will know, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So all the blessings of the promises, all the covenant promises, all the, the, the material blessings and the practical blessings of, you you not have to do a thing. The angel of the Lord's going to destroy these armies. Go ahead, but I'm out. So you can imagine, and, and the next verses talk about Moses communicating to the people and the people going, oh, no, 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 we don't want that. We don't want, so immediate fear. Well, why did God have to do that? Because your pattern, you, you continue to do this. So you don't want me, be honest. You don't want me. You don't care about me. You want the blessings of me. You want these promises and your practical living experience, but, but you, your life proves that you don't really care about me. And so think through this. If you had a choice, would you rather be the, the people of God without the presence of God? Would you be partaking of the blessings of God? Your finances, your job, your career, your, your savings, everything that you can afford, your retirement, but void of the presence of God. How many churches operate wanting the, 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 the blessings of God. It looks so big. It looks so many. There's, there's so much growth. There's so many buildings. And I've, I've sat in a lot of pastoral meetings where either there's not prayer for the presence of God, there's not prayer for conviction of the leaders and the people, so it would be a holy people. It's God, would you bless us? We just need this, and we just need this, and we just need this. Would you want to be living in the promises of God without the presence of God? Living the victories of God, the, the works of God without the presence of God? Loving the pleasures that God has given, the gifts. It could be even relationships in your life, marriage, children, career, financial provision. Sometimes I feel like a lot that would call themselves evangelicals, God left a long time ago. You didn't want me. You didn't really care about me. You tucked in a sinner's prayer over 30 seconds and, and sometimes have this half-hearted um, church idea and your heart is far from me. So would you, if you had a choice, rather have those things of God without the presence of God? And what I'm concerned about, I think that we've made the choice a lot of times. I think the American church, there's evidence that the American church, we've made the choice already. And I think it's clear that in a lot of places that the Spirit and God has stepped out. Hey, you got it. You, you brilliant strategists. You seminary trained guys with all your strategies and all your steps. Go ahead. Oh, you got that guy and that guy and that guy, and they can put all this stuff together, and that guy and that guy and that guy, and they got deep pockets, and y'all can build this. Go ahead. Go ahead. And it happens not just in America, but all over the world. But I believe he's calling us back. So this is why these type of services are important to, to, to take the time to really consider. Like, it's not fun. Did you know you can keep doing religious actions but not be in a correct love relationship with God? I wonder for the youth and the young kids where, where it's just they're brought to church and there's no love relationship it may be a, a fear-taught thing, like, well, you better do these things or bad stuff will happen. You better do, do these things or you'll go to hell. Instead of, no, no, it's a love relationship. I see what you've done, Father. I see what you've done, Christ. I see what you've done, Spirit, to bring this to me. So 
I wonder if there's anyone here today that would say, Lord, I think that I've departed. And maybe I didn't even notice how far my heart had gone. So Tyler's going to come up and pray after you have another couple of minutes. I'm going to give you another couple of minutes just to take some time to think through, have I departed? Have we, as a corporate body, has we, as a family, departed to where we're going through the motions, in good motions, but he's saying, you, you forgot me. You left me out of this. So I'll give you a couple more minutes and then Tyler will come up and pray. And seeing those things, um, as you piece those together, that, that idea of considering the way that we come into the presence of a holy God, um, seeing how easily we depart, seeing how easily we take for granted some of those things. It brings up those things that we've talked about repeatedly here, that we should be a people convicted. We should be a people that, that are able to confess that to God. And that's why we've made room for that in the service, that we would confess that to God, but then not just leave that as, a, like Tyler prayed, not just a little moment in a ceremony or a service, but that we would take that with us Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, that he would be changing us that there's repentance involved with that. Um, there's a very well-known place in Revelation that probably most of you have read in Revelation 2 and, and 3. So that's those exciting parts of Revelation um, where he begins to go into the um, churches that were very well known at that time. And so if you know Ephesus, so, so think through the book of Ephesians. So remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So the book Ephesians, um, that was one of the, the power churches at that time. And so um, here's what Jesus, so uh, let me think through here. Um, Paul plants the church in Ephesus there. So it's uh, Maybe Acts 17 and 18, Acts 17 and 18, they're going through, and the church is planted in Ephesus, and so it's in the 50s. Okay, so Jesus dies 33 AD. In the 50s, 20 years later, the church is planted in the 50s. In the 90s, John the Apostle is brought up into heaven, and so Revelation's being written, and John is, sees all this, and Jesus says, I want to speak to some churches. And so he speaks to the church at Ephesus that was known for certain things. And so um, there's two bookends in this because Jesus goes through the first of these churches. Let me say some things to you. And the second and the third and the fourth and the sixth and the seventh church. And then he says something about, um, you need to do this. And so here's the bookends of that. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So there's a picture of these seven golden lampstands. And Jesus is walking in the midst of these seven lampstands. And he's speaking to these churches. Those seven churches that are in chapters 2 and 3, um, like the church of Ephesus, are the lampstands, the light of the world. If you go on to the end of this little section in, in Revelation 3, he says, though whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's on the outside of the churches now. So now this is the famous part that most of you have probably heard. You know, like in Revelations 3, it says, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, whoever would open their heart to me. And then they go into the, and if you just believe and confess, it's actually speaking to a corporate body in its context. And Jesus' pictures on the outside of the churches where earlier, just a chapter earlier, he was in the midst of, in the middle of the lampstands, being the very light being the very um, water that flowed. And so here he says to them, um, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'd come in and eat with him and he with me. And so that's the, the bookends. And when he speaks to this church at, at Ephesus, he says this in verse two, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Sound familiar for the churches that we hang out with? I see how careful you are. I, I see your labors, your efforts and integrity and hard work and, and even service. And I see how you're really, really trying to abstain from evil. I see how you're, you're sticking with that. And while it seems like no one else around you seems to care, I see your endurance. But then he says, but, but you have even tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. So he's saying, I see your high concern for right theology and right doctrine, wanting to be like the Bereans, careful, always testing everything, trying to protect the church. 
He says, I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. You're even doing it for the right reasons. You're protecting the church with high theology. You're protecting the church from false teachers. I see how you're dealing humbly with people who are patiently standing strong for what you believe and for my sake. And you've not grown weary. So this church has their doctrine and stances and practice and precautions and even had endured standing strong for Christ. So do we see that there are churches that can get all the answers right on paper, right on their beliefs, their stances, their standings, but yet miss Jesus to where he's on the outside? Yes, you know the right things. You're even trying to do the right things, and yet I'm having to knock saying, let me in. How does that happen? It's because the reward becomes ourselves. It's spiritual pride. We do. We do read the scriptures and get it right. We do read the scriptures and we're so godly. We do read the scriptures and our family does these things and doesn't do these things. Our church does these things and don't do these things. We become the reward instead of Jesus to where he was in the midst at one point. So Jesus says, but I have this against you. You, You're All those things, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You've forgotten me in that. It's become this thing that you're doing, this idea of Christianity and what's right and all these things, and you've forgotten me. Remember, therefore, where you've fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. He says that famous line, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So in that, that's why we take this time today. It's supposed to bring apart, bring about conviction of heart, confession, which is just agreeing with God, and then repentance, turning back to God. And so as we see that, um, I want to bring us to this place of, now we've seen those elements coming into the presence of a holy God, our proven proneness to departure, our blindness and hardening to conviction and confession and repentance. But God has provided the renewal and rescue we need for resting and rejoicing. So going through these things, like that good physician, here's the diagnosis. It's worse than what you thought. But I've got great, great news. I'm the one who can take that heart and change that. I'm the one who can remove that proneness towards sin. And I can enable you to walk in the obedience that you need. So Ezekiel 36, um, this is that famous section where he's speaking to Israel, but this is applies to every single person that ever comes to faith. This every single person, individual, who ever gets saved or is regenerated or justified, this is the section that talks about that. And he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, so cleansing you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, so it's a softened heart now, and a new spirit, and that's a small s, that's your soul, that's your spirit. That's not talking about the Holy Spirit yet. I'm going to put a new soul in you. So it's this picture of, like in Ephesians 2, you were dead, and the Holy Spirit comes, and God says, I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to like CPR, breathe new life into you. You've given a new heart and a new soul and new spirit where you see now your eyes are not calloused anymore. You see your heart is not hardened anymore. I'm going to give you a new spirit and put it within you. And I will remove the hardened heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my capital S, my spirit within you and then cause you. And that word cause there cause you to walk in my statutes and cause you to be careful to obey. So now it's not just you white knuckling it, you being better, you with your perfect list. I'm gonna cause you with my spirit inside you to now be aware with spiritual eyes, with a new heart, a new creation that, oh, that's sin over there. I'm gonna turn from that. I'm practicing repentance. The spirit's guiding me. He's enabling me. He's causing me to walk in newness of life. He's causing me to obey the rules that I couldn't obey before. So just a beautiful picture there in Ezekiel. This is what God performs. Notice in that section, what did man have to do with that? Nothing. Wasn't better. Didn't deserve it more. Wasn't more able. Wasn't better than other people. Could be anyone that would come to the Lord in faith. And so um, God talks about the same thing in, in Psalm 85 and Psalm 103. For you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. Salah, that means to pause and think about that. 
You withdrew all your fury and you turned away from your burning anger. So where would his wrath go against sin? So if there's all these people and all of us with our sin and there's wrath that is deserved, where would that wrath be held back for? So we know that he sent Christ and that's what Christ took on the cross, the wrath of God to take that away from us. It says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever because he's going to pour it out on someone, but he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And Isaiah, uh, this picture of renewal and rest, what do we get for all that departure, all, all this non-preparedness for, for thinking through a holy God? What do we get for all of our sins and iniquities and repeatedly wandering and, and turning from him? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So, and notice that we are healed. The verb there is past. It's completed. It's a work that's completed and done. So remember earlier, Genesis 2? He completed this work. You can rest in that. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then he goes on in 10 through 12. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And the language gets difficult. The Lord, Yahweh, the capital L-O-R-D, is the Father to crush him. Jesus. It was the, the will, the pleasure of the Father to crush the Son for the good of us. It was the Father's will to crush the Son. He has put Him to grief. The Father put the Son to grief. When His soul, Jesus, makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His spiritual offspring. He will prolong His days. The will of the Lord, the Father, shall prosper in His hand, the hand of the Son. The works of the Son will, will complete the work of the, the, the Father, the will of the Father. In Romans, we see the same thing. Therefore, having been justified, completed work, past tense, having been justified, a finished work, completed, we have now currently peace with God ongoing. Past finished work, I can rest in what God has done. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the future, better version of you. In a couple of weeks, if you're better. In a couple of years, if you're better. He didn't die for that version. While we were yet at the worst, lowest, most sinful point, Christ came and gave his life. It's a completed work. He came for the sick, not the healthy. In Colossians, the same idea. Renewal from departure, separation from spiritual death. You who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this picture of he has now reconciled, done the work, finished the work, completed the work, that you can rest in that, that it's completed in, in the present and ongoing future. A finished, completed work that is applied presently and then on toward the future. Ephesians says the same thing. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. That, that, those, those words are made us alive. It's a picture of, Ephesians, of Ezekiel. When the Holy Spirit blows into the mouth, it brings new life. That's he made us alive. Beautiful picture of finished work. So we read those and we see the beauty of that. And so in closing, um, as we do the last couple of songs, what if those areas we walk through were now our expectation and the outlook we have instead of you trying to kind of just white knuckle it and, and through your self-righteous works, I, I'm, I'm going to be able to do this. And, and your constant failing at even your own works. Anyone ever struggle with that? Like, I try to keep all these lists, and then I keep failing at it. So what does that lead to? It leads to just frustration and despair. 
It leads to shame and guilt and further feeling of separation. So we, we white-knuckle it and we try to keep all the rules. And then a day later, or a few hours later, we realize, God, I'm just not doing it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And, and so instead of looking at it like this idea of through obedience, through the Spirit, oh, I am convicted by that. I'm not f- fearful of, of con- conviction. I embrace that as a gift from God, and I still, I'm always striving for obedience, but it's the obedience and righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to me. And so it's me walking with the Spirit and Him guiding me, causing me to be convicted. Oh, God, I don't want to be that. Sometimes tempted, and, and we turn, we don't, we don't choose to sin, but we're being tempted, and that's not sin to be tempted, but now I'm listening to the Spirit. And so, Father, I want to stay away from that. I want to keep walking with you in the Spirit. And, and walking through these, those lenses of, of conviction of sin, uh, of repentance and confession that leads to renewal, that leads to resting in him and, and rejoicing. And, and that is his view. That's the view that he sees us in. That's what we saw in, in the Old Testament as we look through those scriptures. That's, this is us now in our own lives. The stricter the rules and the stricter the works, the more difficult it is to embrace the grace of this conviction and confession and repentance because we're too righteous, we're too blinded, we're already better than most. So the stricter the the rules, the stricter the tightness it is, it's harder to embrace. The wilder, the, the, the the licentiousness, the wild rebellion, the more difficult it is to embrace the grace of conviction and confession and repentance because you're too unworthy. I keep on doing this. I keep on doing this. There's no way. With all I've done, I've blown it too bad. So both sides, the person who tries to keep the law and the person who lives wildly against God and doesn't give a rip, both will end up far and separated from him. But God says, no, I'm coming in the middle going, I'm the provider for that. So as we sing these last two songs, I hope that you can... um, Go through this maybe later this week and think through these things. I hope it's been a time of re- renewal and refreshment that your mind would be brought low. Maybe it's, he's just been um, taking something, just chipping away hardened areas of your heart for you to think through. So it's not just this service, but thinking through for the next two weeks, the next month, these ideas. What is my heart when I come in the presence of a holy God? Is there these elements where now I, I'm doing it again, departing, departing, lowering my view of God? Is there fresh repentance and and confession of sin and renewal that's going on? So as we sing these last two songs, let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We see that this scripture that we've read today, this um, is us. Thank you that you are you, that you come to meet us as we are, even as failing Christians, even as, as people that are um, trying to do our best, Father, you come and we see that we need renewal of heart. Would you change our hearts on that so that we'd be able to walk obediently and faithfully? We thank you for this time. We pray that you'd be uplifted even as we go forward. In your name we pray, amen.